0: Hey everyone, I'm your host Katie Friesen, and today I had a conversation regarding outsourcing your tech with Christian Echeverria. Chris has been developing software for more than nine years, and he's trained in computer science and economics officially. While he was still in high school, he was hired as an engineer for an e-commerce company where he helped them scale their revenues by more than $2 million within the first eight months. During his career, he's been and done most things a software engineer can do, such as full-stack developer, product evangelist, quality assurance engineer, system manager, and he's even had some machine learning to boot. He has seen the industry through the lens of not only a software employee, but a team leader, freelancer, and entrepreneur. And now as a consultant that helps early stage businesses create digital products with his web development expertise. You can find him at Raina Software Consulting. The website is www.rainasoftware.com. That's R-E-I-N-A software.com. I know I love this conversation. Chris is one of the most intelligent guys I know, and he has a really amazing way of taking kind of complex or techy things and breaking them down into an easy and comprehensible fashion. Um, so it was a great conversation. We explored all things tech um, in terms of outsourcing your core tech, all the ins and outs, do's and don'ts so i learned a lot and i hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as i did hey chris hello for starters thank you for having this conversation with me i'm super excited because i know every time i talk with you like i always learn so much you have such a good way of explaining things and you have such a good knowledge base um so in general i just like having conversations with you oh
1: thank you i appreciate that
0: and and especially in terms of this conversation um considering that you're starting up Raina Software. Um, and You're essentially a software engineer consulting directly with early stage businesses. Um, Do you want to talk to me a little bit more about that in terms of kind of what you do?
1: Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, I really see my position as a consultant is kind of to bring uh, an experienced viewpoint uh, that can merge the software considerations with what you're dealing with as an early stage business. Um, So, you know, every single business today is a technology business, whether or not, you know, it's creating a technology product.
0: Quick question that you had said. Um, You said that every business right now is a technology business, um, even if they're not developing a technology product. Can you kind of elaborate on that and expand on that?
1: Absolutely. Um, So basically what I mean by that is, you know, in the most basic sense, before there was a time, uh, you know, long, long ago, back when the dinosaurs roamed the (laughs) earth, um, there was a time when um, you could have a business without having a website, for example. Um, And, you know, people could find you via word of mouth. Maybe you do print advertisement. Um, you leverage various networks. Uh, but nowadays, you know, the largest market, the best network, the way that you're going to reach out with your particular uh, client and, and customer demographic is through the Internet, uh, the web particularly. Um, so at the very least, ground floor, you need to have um, <clears throat> a great website, that explains what you do and what value you're going to add for your customers. But, you know, it really doesn't stop there. You know, since then, um, most processes are going digital. So, um, you know, we're having this whole like revolution of disintermediation. So before you would have like three, four salespeople in, for example, buying cars. Now you can buy cars online directly. You know is one example um <clears throat> uh before you if you wanna you know ship something from one side of the country to the next um then you might speak through a few intermediaries uh to arrange like a pickup service now you can do it over the internet um so just things like that 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 is the trend of where things are going um and pretty much in every industry every industry is being disrupted by uh you know, what you call, you might call digital transformation if you're in a larger enterprise. Um, So, so yeah, so in essence, uh, there's no getting away from it. Um, You can either embrace it, or your competitors will, and they'll create product experiences that are easier, more convenient for their customers uh, than you can. And, you know, the truth is, uh, it, it doesn't just have to be about not getting behind, you can get ahead in terms of creating uh, a new way to do things that is, you know, delightful to your end users. So, you know, one of the quintessential examples is Uber came in and took the process of getting a cab and just made it so easy. You go on your phone and you click like three times and the payment magically flies over the internet. And then, (laughs) boom, a car shows up and it's, you know, rated (laughs) at five stars and, Uh, Yeah. Versus before you would call a place and hope that they would get the taxi driver out. It would take like half an hour. uh, And then all sorts of other things. You have to exchange money in person. Um, Yeah. yeah, You don't know what quality you're getting. (laughs) So, well,
0: well, it's funny because in in Canada, in Winnipeg, Uber wasn't allowed, right? So I think Uber just got allowed, I think, two weeks ago or something. But like I've always used Uber in Miami and stuff. So coming back to Canada, it's like, dang, this is a hassle. Like if like Uber's so easy. Um, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like that, there are so many different examples. Um, you know, just in clients that I've worked with. I've worked with clients in e-commerce, in insurance, in customer feedback. And <clears throat> each one of their offerings has something that they can leverage in the digital space that is uh, just not possible um, in physical spaces. You know, one of them is, it's just sometimes it's about getting people out of the way so that the customer can get what they need faster. Um, so yeah, it's really something to think about and something that I help, I help businesses, um, you know, If they haven't figured out that part yet, I can help them get to that point. But if they are at that point, then I help them sort of manifest their vision for what the product should be, you know, through um, my experience uh, developing products myself and all of the tooling that goes in there, all of the technical decisions, you know, whenever you're going to create any product. You really do have to make a lot of decisions about how you're going to build it. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat virtually, you know, in terms of creating your product. And there are a lot of ways that it can go uh, awry, so to speak. So mm-hmm. if you yeah. yeah. Go sorry. ahead. No, please. No,
0: keep going. No, I I that was kinda gonna, gonna be my first question is is what are the biggest problems that you see when people are trying to outsource their tech or to build their tech?
1: And so I've known personally Uh, exceptional business owners who have incredible business sense and they know how to seize a market and they're even very aware of what the customer wants needs and how to deliver that Um, but they sort of contract out sometimes to these providers and they really don't know what they're getting
0: Um, sorry quick question does that arise from the people not understanding truly it is what what the tech can do or they're not understanding truly is what they want their tech to do or like kind of, why does that arise? That problem?
1: It is a bit of everything that you mentioned. Um, I really think it it just comes down to not knowing how to navigate the product development process. Um, So there there's, you know, first you need to really, first you need to communicate what it is that you want to your provider correctly. Um, And there's some potential for misunderstandings there. Um, And then there's also the quality of the provider and the intentions of the provider. Some providers just want to, you know, take exactly what you give them and feedback, you know, basically come back to you with something that seems like exactly what you want. And then what ends up happening is the client is uh, sort of satisfied with that until later on, you know, they put it into into production is what is the term. Um, It basically means you you put it out into the market and uh, maybe you're even making money off of it and it's powering your business. But then later on you discover, oh, wow, it's falling short in these ways. Um, So, for example, it, it breaks now that, you know, more than, 400 people are using it, um, or wow, we, re- we really should have maybe prioritized these kinds of features, or, you know, we spent seven months developing this product when really our users only wanted some small subset of it, and uh, we really should have built out these other features. Um, so those are, you know, just the... even the surface area, uh, the surface level problems. Uh, There are deeper problems, whereas you don't know what kind of ingredients went into that cake. (laughs) The frosting might look very good. Um, (laughs) But oftentimes you have people stringing together. Basically they're making products out of paper mache and duct tape. Um, And then (laughs) like applying a nice coat on the outside. So it looks great, uh, but not necessarily what you want to then maintain it going forward. (laughs) But yeah, so those are some of the problems that I see people run into, and um, I think one of the best ways is to just um, educate yourself and bring an outside perspective, and to help you if you don't have that technical background.
0: Okay, so okay, so let's say I'm a founder and I want to outsource my tech. Um, I want to build out my core product. Like I know nothing about tech, right? So where where should I even start? You know, there's so much out there in terms of. It's almost like you don't even know where to go or what to, to start with. So
1: well, then, outsourcing is an attractive option. The only caveat is that with outsourcing, quality usually um, can be a problem. So with outsourcing, you can get access to several developers for fractions of the cost. Um, right. But then the problem is um, communicating. You know what it is that you want. Uh, what are what are the timelines? What is the scope? You know which is a very big thing uh sometimes you describe something um and although you think you know you're talking about uh the the entire solution in your mind to a technical person it only means you know oh i, I just have to create a few web pages um and Maybe some animations, and that is what they're describing. So, and then what will happen is both parties will go under that mistake assumption. They'll sign a contract, and then at the end of the day, it's kind of problems on both ends. Um, so, with an independent engineer, you can get around that.
0: And what do you mean by you're saying independent engineer? Like they'll join your team, or like what? What do you exactly? I'm not sure I'm understanding what you're meaning. How is an independent engineer different than like outsourcing, yeah, just hiring. So Absolutely, like, yeah, the there? yeah. So it's
1: it's like, uh, it's like double outsourcing. So you know, you could bring someone in house to be your CTO, and then just have them manage, um, you know, everything. But if you bring an independent engineer in, a you don't have to hire them full time. Uh, you can hire them on a on a project basis. So you don't really have to like, uh, solidify hiring someone directly which comes with its own set of hurdles and you're not limited to just you know via budget you're not limited to just hiring one person you can hire you know two independent engineers so that one can check the other's work for example Um, and then what you do is you have those guys those independent engineers or those people uh, to use the more gender neutral term uh, and you have them basically supervise the work of Uh, the engineers that you're outsourcing to. So they'll kind of be your watchdogs to make sure that um, the project is on track, that it's fulfilling what you as a business owner are really trying to achieve, that the code is quality, so that it will, you know, scale with your organization and be maintainable over time. Um, And, you know, that's really the function of the, of the outside experience perspective that, um, you know, is there in essence, just to help you. Um,
0: I see. It's like a, it's like a check and balance pretty much, pretty much like an outsourced CTO yeah, to some extent. Absolutely. So I know we had talked about this um, in, in previous conversations and you were kind of mentioning the importance of having um, kind of like milestones or like kind of your project plan laid out and kind of different milestones. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on that? Um,
1: So my personal philosophy on these uh, sorts of development products, uh, development projects for new products, um, is that they should be based off of milestones. Uh, It's really difficult to know exactly how long the development is going to take when you're doing a new product, uh, because by definition, it doesn't, you know, it hasn't been done exactly the way that you're doing it before. Um, and so what I find is the best thing that is fair for both sides is to do something called milestone based payments. Um, so what you do is you look at the project and you break it down into a few key, um, let's call it states. So basically key phases Um where you'll know that the qual that the that the project looks like this at this stage, so you might say stage one we should have um, the database sh- you know should exist um, the web pages uh, so the websites should exist um, there sh- it should be styled so that it looks nice and uh, ready to um, <clears throat> put on the web. Uh, You know, maybe there's some communication between the uh, website and the database. So if you're creating a dashboard, but maybe, you know, maybe the core functionality of your application doesn't work. Right. So it's all just kind of like, you know, everything exists, but the glue to connect it all and, and, and get it going. The engine isn't quite built, but the chassis is and the wheels are and all of that good stuff. So that might be your milestone one. Um, and at that point, at least you can verify as um, a client that the work is progressing and you don't have to sort of make the entire payment upfront. You can pay it, uh, you can match your payments with the work and progress that you expect to be delivered. So that's on your end. Um, and then on the provider's end, which is interesting as well, doing milestone based payments uh, helps them mitigate their risk as well um, versus an all or nothing payment because they can know that you're going to continue paying as milestones are delivered. Um, So it really balances the risk, uh, in my opinion, appropriately. But the only caveat there is that your provider is going to know more about the scope. Uh, So basically, when you define what those phases look like, they're gonna have more intimate product knowledge than you are, and so you're at a slight disadvantage as a at a as a as a client. Right. That's where an but, independent provider comes in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say that's where you could have your independent engineer. Right. Right. Yeah, right, yeah absolutely. Come in and, and just to verify that you're not getting taken for a ride to some extent. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, and and that your payments sort of match up with with that progress. Um. Right. so and that's critical um, there are many other things that you you know should be aware of but uh, you can sort of distill them down to just a handful of, of key things that you should know one of the things is you need to have uh, you need to be aware of where your code is so,
0: so well, that's interesting yes
1: something that I have <clears throat> seen in the wild uh, quite a bit <laughs> is a client will pay for these services and they, maybe the project even got done to completion and it was to the satisfaction of of the client, Um, but they won't have the code um, and they won't have access to where the code lives. So what, and that's a red flag generally, but uh, most clients aren't aware of this. Uh, Oftentimes what happens if you have a less scrupulous uh, provider is that they sort of may say, well, now you have to pay us a maintenance fee or or something of the sort for us to like deal with the code. Um, which is kind of like a surprise thing. Um, or, you know, if you're going to make changes, then they, it doesn't allow you to take that code and shop it out to different providers to get their opinions on it. Um, so that's generally a very big red flag um and it's something that happens every day basically um and yeah it it really happens because of that difference in knowledge between the provider and the client um so what i advocate for and what i do in my business is i always make it very clear that you're going to have access to the code and I use something called um, versioning, so a versioning system. There's this uh, okay. this platform called GitHub, um, and there are others like GitLab. <clears throat> and, and basically what you do is you push up the code to a secure third-party provider. Um, and <clears throat> it lives in a place where you can inspect the code, look at it, review it, see it, control it, make copies of it. Um, and you give access to the client, uh, mm-hmm. basically, so that that way, you know, <clears throat> it's it's not like you're mm-hmm. left holding the bag, metaphorically speaking, mm-hmm. if something goes That's wrong, right? If right? Even if you stop the project halfway because it didn't work out between a client and a provider, right? Then right, right. Then at least you have the progress up to this point. Um,
0: so. quick, quick question, quick question, on, question on, that. on that. Is there... Is there... Um, um in terms, in terms of, of documentation, documentation stuff, stuff it, it would obviously be better if the people you're outsourcing or hiring they're making sure that they're doing appropriate and proper documentation or is that not relevant
1: Absolutely yes it is um it is important for things to be documented uh for the future of the code but there's also drawing that line between how quickly you want to go versus you know, having the absolute most scalable, maintainable thing for the future. So
0: <laughs> I see. So it's a trade off between um, essentially scalability in the future and then time. Yes, because documentation just takes time. is what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. And then what experience brings is the knowledge of where to make those trade offs um, and how to make those trade offs. So basically. You don't want to spend all your time documenting, of course, uh, But you want to make sure that the code and the product is understandable to other people that didn't initially work on it. Um, So there is such a thing as code cleanliness and style. Um, And those things come from experience.
0: So would that be a good way to filter out if... So let's say you have your independent engineer or your outsourced CTO or you, right? Let's say I'm hiring you. And you're looking at um, hiring a team of engineers outsource to to build this product, that's, would that be a good way to indicators to look for um, as a quality engineer, A, if they have cleanliness or good code style (laughs) and B, if they they have good kind of documentation trade-offs or kind of what would you look for um, if you were looking for a good engineer to outsource um, to build your actual tech?
1: Yeah, so before even getting into that, I think that there are a couple of easy steps that you can uh, sort of take on to make sure that this is going to be a provider that is going to build a product uh, the right way, you know, uh, in air quotes. Um, So one of the things is, are they clear about their game plan for building this product? Um, And they should be. So in their, in their proposal, they should have outlined, you know, to the level of how how is this product going to get built in steps? You know, so the milestones and all those things that we've discussing previously, not only are they things that, um, you know, make sense for you in terms of your protection uh, as a client, it also is a litmus test for your provider. Um, So your provider should be able to say, I'm going to use these technologies, even if you may not, um, you know, know what those are, Uh, but they should be consistent, and each one should serve uh, a certain uh, function. And they should tell you, you know, this is how we're going to tackle the problem step by step, um, and then be very clear uh, about their commitment to matching the your product requirements with the tech that they're going to add in. Um, And then beyond that, they should show you samples of previous work that they've done. And in those samples, especially if they have code samples, it it should be very apparent to anyone who has just a little bit of engineering experience, uh, you know, whether or not this is quality. Um,
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So.
0: Two, two follow-up questions on that, quick. Um, kind of going back to that first part of it, uh, you said the tools or the the, uh, the tech behind it. Because um, I know in our previous conversations, you had talked, like, there are different tools or different things that you could use. Can you elaborate on that? So for people who are kind of non-tech, um, they might understand more what you're saying. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So really nowadays, you don't... Um, when you build products, you're usually not just speaking in the base language. So you're not just using your hands, for example, in the same way that we've developed tools for everything that we do. So now you build a house and you have hammers uh, and you have screwdrivers and you have cranes even, right? Um, We've built analogous uh, tools and machinery in code that allow us to do things faster or you know make a decision about whether to you know what materials to use to construct the code product. Um, so you can make a foundation out of steel beams, for example, or you could make it out of wood. Um, and you know those might have their pros and cons depending on you know where you are in the world and, and a bunch of other factors. Um, So what I try to do personally when I'm thinking about uh, what tools to use for a project, I like to think about what stage the business is at. Um, And since I focus specifically on new products, I like to strike a balance between uh, speed and sort of the ability to have the tools that you use scale with the organization. And usually those two things, uh, usually, but not always, are at odds with each other so if you want something to scale better it usually will take longer to set up not always but that is that is often the case um so you know in the beginning speed is at a premium you just want to make sure that you know even if you're going to scrap the system five years down the line you have a way to do that incrementally so piece by piece and not such that it's going to be a crisis for the business um, and so that that transition can happen smoothly over time, and hopefully gracefully, while you're adding more value to the end user, to the consumer. So,
0: interesting. interesting. Yeah, you no, know, that's, you know, that's helpful. super helpful. Um, um, especially for non-tech people, people, it's it's very, it's very informative. informative. Um, um, kind of the second follow-up question to that that part you had before. Um, you said it was very easy for someone to see um, if it's quality code or not what
1: are some characteristics of, of quality code? How could you tell? Um, so one of them, uh, just like in the written word, um, do they, are they efficient with how much code they use to get you know, one thing done in terms of just like the arrangement of the, the language? So the, you know in English, there are words and in code there are like statements. Um, <clears throat> so do they do they do things in a long roundabout way uh, is I one see. of the first things that you notice. But then there are things that are <clears throat> more subtle. So just like when you speak and write in the English language, you may say something that uses few words, but it may carry more meaning or communicate more effectively. And similarly in in code, Less code isn't always uh, better code, right? So mm-hmm. the way that the code acts, what it implies, is also important. Um, so how efficiently it uses, you know, resources, uh, comp- you know, computation-wise. We won't get into the weeds, but in essence, you want code that is going to be efficient because it will scale better. Um, you can have something that, you can have inefficiency at a lower scale uh, and not notice it for quite a long time. But as you're the load of the system, so as users start using your product, as you start growing, um, you're gonna feel the pain more and more of those inefficient pieces of code and the system will creak and sort of buckle under its own weight. Um, quick
0: pausing you there, by that you mean, so as it scales and there's more and more users, the back end will just take longer. So let's say I'm trying to load. Is that what you mean by that? Sure, yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, it has a real analog in terms of physical resources. So like uh, you you may, you, you know when a computer sort of, you're at home and you have a lot of things open uh, and your computer sort of starts to heat up. Maybe the fans are all the way up. Bzzz and your computer just feels like it it is just going to just give up on you, is is that at its max? Um, (laughs) Yeah, so every single system has a a limit. Uh, And at the end of the day, even though we're working in like beautiful abstractions and we have very nice high level tools, um, you have to work with the resources that uh, you have at any given moment. And what ends up happening is more users means it's like opening more programs on that computer, more windows. I see. Each user is like a new window. And there's only so many windows that your computer can handle before it it can handle no more. Um, And (laughs) nowadays what's interesting is that we have uh, the cloud, right? So usually business applications are on the cloud. And with the cloud, it's just like, whenever you open too many windows, it it just adds a whole other computer. So you can like double and triple and quadruple your capacity uh, to do things and service users, which is really nice. And it's something that you should definitely go for, right? Uh, And building applications in that way should be the standard today. That's what good software, good products look like, um, which is also something you may or may not get. Depending on your provider, um, but that I'm reflects the cost. That, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, oh sorry. Question that before. Um, are there any dangers or risks with having your your building an application in the cloud?
1: Um, you know, in real terms, it's impossible to say that any system is completely, you know, let's say secure. Uh, but pretty much the most. Secure thing you can do is run on the cloud nowadays uh these things you know the physical computers live in like military guarded uh facilities, and they they have backups so that if anything fails, your product will continue to go um the you know when things things on the cloud usually don't go down, and when they do there're far and few exceptions, certainly much better than you'll be able to do. Uh, most times in-house with your team. Uh, Plus, by doing it um, yourself, you're sort of dedicating all these resources to doing something that uh, a company that is specialized, that has leverage on this particular thing, economies of scale, can do better, and you're not adding value to your users. Um, So I really wouldn't recommend building things, building products that... uh, that can't leverage the cloud. The cloud is a superpower nowadays um, and and it is secure. Uh, at the end of the day though, security also has to um, come from how you build your applications. And that goes back again to the knowledge of the software provider. <clears throat>
0: Can you elaborate a bit on that? So
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so on the web, on the internet, uh, it's really just a bunch of computers talking to each other um and so one of the most basic issues of security is are you who you say you are um which is basically if a computer hits your site and your website are you you know katie coming in to check her account or are you a computer a program a user who's masquerading as katie um and is going to try to access uh, Katie's, you know, private uh, secret stuff that she might not want to be sharing everywhere, right? Like, for example, we don't want people in our bank accounts. Um, so, so basically, there's a whole suite of techniques that go into making sure that your accounts aren't compromised, uh, that your data isn't compromised from an end-user standpoint. Um, and they can get pretty sophisticated. So f- one of the things, for example, that you absolutely are going to want to have and know about um, is encryption, right? So when you communicate over the internet, you don't want your messages to be public. So if you're sending your password, you're logging in, you're sending your password over the wire, you don't want anyone to just be able to you know, see your password and be like, oh, well, great. There it is. Um, (laughs) I'll just use this and I don't need to do anything else now. So that's why we we obscure those things from possible uh, third parties and uh, yeah, and middlemen as their man in the middle attacks, as they're called.
0: Interesting. Well, yeah, and I guess you as the the founder who is building up this tech platform, it's your responsibility, essentially, right, to make sure that your user's information is safe and secure.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, there is sort of a related conversation about what users themselves can, uh, do to keep themselves safe. Uh, because even if a provider is, you know, does everything they can correctly, you can still be the vulnerability. So your end computer can be the vulnerability in terms of getting a virus, a, a key logger. So a keylogger is, is a piece of uh, malware that, uh, it basically what it does is when you go to a website and you type something in it logs your keystrokes so uh, because your computer is in- infected it doesn't matter that the message uh, was received securely and everything was done right uh, from your computer onwards uh, they just have to exploit the fact that you uh you know you went to a site and you caught a a bad piece of software on your computer so so, but, you know, that's a, a re, sort of a different conversation. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, even if you do everything okay as a, as a provider, um, your end user may still become compromised, you know, by their own actions. But, of course, that's something that's out of your control.
0: Right, right. Um, is there any more advice that you would we give to people um, who are looking to outsource their tech that we haven't covered?
1: um really it is just if i could leave people with one piece of advice is you have to do your homework um mm-hmm. just because you're outsourcing your product development to someone doesn't mean that it's a hands-free process you really do get out of it what you put into it and there are you know several ways that it could go wrong um so Yeah, really take the time to learn about the process of the provider that you're potentially contracting with and keep some of the things uh, that we've discussed on this uh, podcast in mind um, when you're going to be starting a new project with an independent provider. You know, the best thing you can do is have someone with experience who's on your side looking out for
0: you. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much. I know I learned a lot in this conversation. So I th- thank you for your time and your insights.
1: Well, yeah, thank you for having me. I, uh, I appreciate it. And <clears throat> I just wanted to, uh, you know, get the word out. So I'm very happy. Yeah.
0: How can people, how can people find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, currently I'm working on my site, uh, Um And as it, sort of reaches completion you'll be able to see things about uh you know what services i provide um knowledge and sort of an insight base for you to learn about how to uh, do outsourcing and other topics that are related to an early stage uh business with a new product so definitely just check there um <clears throat> you can absolutely uh reach me Uh, via my calendar link there, if you want to schedule a session and uh, I'll definitely do um, an initial consultation for free, which is something that uh, people should take advantage of. Um, So if you go to the site, uh, it has a big button that says, let's talk, Um, you know, get on there and schedule some time and we can talk for 45 minutes and I can hear you out and, you know, give you some, some pointers on, on, where you you can improve and and things you might not have uh, considered. So really just come see me at at ReinaSoftware.com.
0: Cool. Thank you so much, Chris. That's awesome. I I know if I have a tech project, you're the first person I'm coming to. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) See you, Chris.